Mark 13, and that can be found on page 1018 of the Church Bibles in front of us um, and on the screen. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he, and he will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about the day or hour, no one knows, 
not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the cock crows or at dawn. And if, he sudden, and if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Thank you, Katie. Evening, everybody. Um, our sort of modern world is a bit of a, a funny relationship, doesn't it, with uh, the future? On the one hand, we, we try to suppress it as much as we can. So we, we sort of talk about all different sort of euphemisms and different words for, for death, you know, moved on, passed away, gone somewhere better. Uh, we have anti-aging creams, we have all sorts of hair dyes, uh, anything to, to avoid thinking about sort of the future. But on the other hand, uh, we have horoscopes and uh, palm readers and tarot cards. Uh, there's even, of course, you may remember uh, Paul the Octopus, who is deciding who is going to win the Football World Cup uh, a few years ago. Um, there's just all sorts of ways that we're kind of fascinated with the future. And of course, when we look back over time, we, we see all sorts of different people who have predicted the future. The Jehovah's Witnesses have predicted uh, the Jesus coming back at least three times. Uh, there was a, that chap called Harold, Harold Camping, you might remember, uh, from the news of a couple of years ago. Uh, and even the Mayans, uh, supposedly, uh, were kind of saying, this is when uh, the end of the world is going to come. Now, all of them were wrong. Uh, but as Christians... Um, there's even much of sort of different understandings amongst Christians, isn't there, uh, about what it means for, for Jesus to return. I mean, if you, you type into Google, you know, when will Jesus come back, you will get a whole raft of interesting uh, websites coming back at you. And most of it's pretty unhelpful. Uh, so uh, when we begin, uh, I think we've got to start with a degree of humility, uh, recognising that actually... Um, there's lots of things that we don't know. There's lots of things we can't know and we won't know. But there's one thing we do. Jesus wins. There are lots of, uh, of details, lots of uh, sort of ponderings that we're never going to get our head around or never be able to fathom but the one thing we do know is that whatever we, have, we face, whatever may happen, Jesus will win. So as we come to this chapter this evening, and we're going to dig into it a bit, uh, there may be things that we don't know, but the things that we have absolute certainty over is Jesus wins. So let's pray uh, as we begin. Uh, Father, we, we thank you that your word is good, and we thank you for this chapter of Mark, and we pray, Lord, that as we uh, come to look at this evening, uh, that you would help us to, to know it a bit better, but more so, help us to live in light of it. For your glory and our good, we pray. Amen. Um, 
We start off uh, in Mark chapter 1, the disciples are outside uh, the temple. Uh, and they, they say, verse 1, don't they? Uh, as Jesus in the temple, one disciple said to him, uh, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Uh, supposedly, some of the, the individual stones in the temple were, were six feet high, it's about sort of my height, and, and 40 feet across, like one bit of rock. I mean, that's impressive. I mean, like, how do they even get it there? They are impressive rocks. And the subs going, look, Jesus, look how amazing uh, this building is. But they probably weren't quite expecting what Jesus was going to say. Do you see these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. In other words, the, the temple that you're placing so much hope in and security in, one day it's going to be destroyed. A bit later, some of his disciples come to him again, a bit more intrigued, and say, uh, verse 4, well, tell us when these things will happen. I mean, what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? And as Jesus responds to them, he doesn't simply talk about one event, the destruction of the temple, uh, but two events. Uh, the destruction of the temple and what we might call uh, his return or, or the end of the world, if using sort of just common language. And he does that because uh, the two events are connected. For what, if Jesus says happens about the temple, then we know that what he then says about his return will also be true. He says this is going to happen, and it does happen, then you can have a confidence that what he says about here is also going to happen. And they're also connected in the way that actually uh, the disciples are sort of saying the temple seems so permanent, doesn't it? It's such a massive stone. It's not going anywhere. And I wonder if actually we have a similar view about the world. I mean, we look out at the world, at the oceans, the, the hills, the downs, the cities. And I wonder actually if we sort of think this isn't going anywhere. You know, they're, they're, you know, this has sort of been here for a long time and it's going to continue to be here for a long time. You know, I, I kind of put my faith in it, if you will. Because the disciples' hearts were kind of tied to the temple, tied to the things they could see. And actually, sometimes our hearts are tied to the things that we see. So here's the, the, the big message of Mark 13. True security is not found in what we see and touch. True security is found in who we know. True security is not found in what we see or touch. It's found in who we know. But before that, Jesus tells his disciples what, what life uh, will be like both uh, before the end and before the end of the temple. 
Uh, and he begins by listing things, saying uh, uh, things like wars and famines. Uh, and we may be tempted, and many are tempted to say, well, this is a sign of the end. And when we start seeing wars, that's a sign the end of the world is coming. Now have a look at verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. You see, uh, these are signs of the end, so they're not signs of the end, but rather characteristics of what life is like before. Because, of course, it says there, the end is still to come. So he's saying this is what life is like. And he says, verses 5 and 6, um, there'll be deceit. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. That many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and he will deceive many. Uh, or verses 20 and 21. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah. Or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false messiahs uh, and false uh, prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive you, if possible, even to the elect. Uh, Jesus wants to be crystal clear that in these last days, before the end, there'll be many who will come and claim, look, saying, oh, I'm the one to follow. They may even be able to perform miraculous signs. But Jesus is saying, look, don't trust them. Keep your eyes fixed on me, on my gospel. He says, look, in the time building up to the end, there will be deceit. There'll be wars, rumours of wars, famines. In other words, the world will just be out of kilter. It won't be right. This is what it will be like. See, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. And I work for a non-profit organisation. But I can tell you that there will always be, until Jesus returns, wars and famines. We see it now, don't we? Israel, Ukraine. There'll always be things. They're just like birth pains. They're characteristics of what life is like. There'll be deceit, common sufferings, and persecutions. And persecutions, we mean suffering simply because you're part of God's people. Verse 9. You must be on your guard. Uh, You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogue on account of me. Uh, You'll have to stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Christians are expected to face hardship. Now, we live or have lived or are living in a bit of a bubble, really, in terms of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Being a Christian in the UK over the last couple of centuries is not what it is normally like for most Christians historically or geographically. Even at some point, actually, of the last, sort of not that long ago, it was to your benefit to be a Christian. It's like sort of kudos moment. You're the good guys. We shouldn't expect that. And in fact, actually, we probably say it's not really like that anymore. The book here by Stephen McAlpine, you know, says, being the bad guys. And what he's saying there is actually, look, we shouldn't expect society to think that Christians are the ones who are the good guys anymore. 
the beliefs of, of following Jesus will mean that society will actually call you the bad guys. And we can think of that in all sorts of different areas, can't we? Well, that's the normal experience of Christians. And actually for us, it probably won't mean being physically hurt. It probably won't mean being put in prison. It, it, it may just mean rejection and isolation. But actually, all those things are on the table for most Christians historically and geographically. The normal experience of Christians is to be persecuted. And so Jesus is saying, take note. He's look, this is what life is like. You will experience deceit in the world. You'll, you'll be persecuted. Uh, there'll be wars and famines. That's just what life is like. So don't be thrown by it. Don't be thrown by it. Be on your guard. But of course, the sign that he does give is the destruction of the temple. Uh, that's what we will know to say, well, what Jesus said about that is true. Therefore, we can trust what he says about the end of the world. At verse 14, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. As you can probably imagine, there's a whole bucket load of things that have been written about what this abomination that causes desolation could be, and kind of people sort of tying it up to various historical figures. But I don't think it's for us. I don't think it's meant for us. Why? Because look what Mark says. Let the reader understand those in, those, then, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This is Jesus speaking to Christians who will see this sign, know what it means, and then leave Judah. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened in AD 70? Christians saw this sign and they fled. So that when the temple was destroyed in AD 70 uh, and completely flattened, uh, many Christians were spared. This sign's for them. It's language from uh, Daniel uh, chapter 7. It's not for us. It's for them. They saw this sign. They knew what it meant and they fled. The sign for us, though, is that the temple was destroyed. Jesus said it would happen and it did. Uh, that's what Jesus is getting at in verses 24 to 30. The language is, is being picked up of Daniel 7 about the Son of Man coming in glory, saying, look, the temple's destroyed, therefore you can have confidence that I will also come back in glory. So please don't be worried or, or think that the world will end for a missile strike from Washington or Moscow. It won't. The world will not end with a missile strike from Washington or Moscow. The world will end when Jesus says so. When he returns. That's what Jesus wants us to know. At verse 29, the ESV, the English Standard Version, puts it like this. 
It says, you know that he is near. In NIV, it says it, but it's he. You know that he is near at the very gates. If you're like me, your gaze very easily gets taken away. I, 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 I get off my guard. I kind of get comfortable. I get far more drawn in with the things that I can see around me. But Jesus is saying, know that I am near. I'm coming. The temple was destroyed, AD 70. And so you can be absolutely sure that Jesus, the king, will be returning. And as I've been thinking about this, one of the questions I, I, I've been trying to ponder is, well, why is this so important? Why, why, do I, why do I want to know about these things? And I think there are, there are two wrong motivations and one right one. Uh, the first is, is because I'm, I'm lazy. You know, I basically think, well, if I, can, if I know exactly when Jesus comes back, then that means, well, if he's coming back in December, then I've got kind of like, well, I've got about a week, haven't I? But, um, you know, but you know what I mean? But if he's coming back, then I've got basically a load of time to do what I like, and then I can kind of deal with the Jesus stuff a, a bit later on. You know, if I know that he's not coming back for like 50 years, then I can basically do what I like for 49 years, and then I can kind of deal with that sort of stuff later on. Or, or when I kind of, if Jesus isn't coming back for a long time, then it, it, my prayer life doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if I kind of chat to my mate about Jesus, because he's got like 49 years. Someone else can do it. I just get lazy, spiritually lazy, not taking faith seriously. And I guess most of us wouldn't verbalise that, but, but we become so tied to the world, to the things that we can see, that that's all we think about. That's all that, that matters. We get lazy. Or, or I guess the other thing is, is that we kind of, we get proud. There are, there are parts of the, the Christian world where uh, your belief about the end times basically determines whether you're a Christian or not. You know, and at worst, you might be some sort of, you know, liberal. At best, you might be a pagan. You know, just if you don't agree with that particular interpretation or view. It becomes a kind of an intellectual pride thing. Let me say, I, I, I don't think that it matters about our view of, of how these things will pan out. It matters if they'll happen. We, we said it in the Creed. Jesus will return to judge the living and dead. That it, that it will happen is of absolute vital importance. How it will happen is not of first importance. In the same way, how the world was made is not of first importance. And we shouldn't elevate it to as such. So why should we care? Why should we? Well, have a look at the passage, verse 33. 
Jesus says, be on your guard. Verse 34, keep watch. Verse 35, keep watch. Verse 37, watch. See, Jesus tells us what is going to happen in the future so that we'll be ready, so that we'll, we'll watch with our, our spiritual eyes of faith. For just as the disciples looked at the temple and said, look how long-lasting that is, we might look at the world and say, look how long-lasting and secure that is. But Jesus says, one day I will come back. You've got to live in that reality. You've got to live with that truth. You've got to live with faith, not sight. So that as we uh, walk on the beach, or we go for a drive on the road, we see the most amazing sunset. We say, this is amazing, but what God has later is even better. I'm going to live for that in mind, for that kingdom. So keep watch. What's that going to mean? It means I need to fix my gaze upon Jesus proactively fix my gaze upon Jesus. I don't know about you, that what your first thought in the morning is. Mine is usually, children, please go back to bed. Um, it's not of Jesus. It's not, by nature, it's, it's not the thing that fills my head. I've got to proactively fix my eyes upon Jesus, say, today is a day when I've been given God's mercy and grace again. I don't deserve it, but I've been given it. Lord, I I want to live this day for you, fix my eyes upon you. Not to, to live by the simple things that I see, the tasks I've got to accomplish, the places I go, but live with you in my gaze as the pair of glasses that I wear as I walk out into the world. To remind myself of my Lord. Because, verse 34, we've been given tasks to do. It's like a man going away, he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge and each with their assigned task and tells the one at the door, to keep watch. What's that? Well, Mark, that Jesus told us in verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. The Christians are to go forth and tell of the good news of Jesus. Go forth and tell doesn't, doesn't mean gathering a crowd and bellowing on top of a soapbox. It might do. It might just simply mean, through word and deed, speaking to your, your neighbour across the garden fence, your colleague. It, it might just be just, just making conversation about Jesus normal because he's the one who fills your gates. It, it might be just speaking of him in all, because it's, he's the centre of what we do to hear, to tell, rather, the good news of Jesus. Because he will come back. He will come to judge the living and the dead. We will all face him. Yes, he might not return for 50, 100, 200 years. He might come back tomorrow. 
or we might face him sooner than we think. We must be those who are ready. So let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The all from perfecter of our faith. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. And as we go about whatever we do, we do it for him to go and tell of all he's done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the whole of history is in your hands. We thank you that as Jesus said these words, he knew where he was going, that actually that he would go to the cross to buy forgiveness for us. And Father, we thank you that just as he said that these words of the temple would, would come true, they did, that we can trust that his words, he says, about his return will also be true. Help us to live in light of that today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.